Good morning, everyone. You're listening to The Sci-Files, an exposure segment featuring Michigan State University student research. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Today, we're joined with Tatiana Bustos. Tatiana, can you please introduce yourself? Okay, so hi, my name is Tatiana Bustos. I'm a fourth-year doctoral student in the Ecological Community Psychology Program. Uh, my research is focused on community-based research in health service access. What does that mean, Tatiana? Um, so community psychology is an outskirt from the field of psychology itself. It focuses on social justice values. Um, it prioritizes community strengths. And so a lot of my work is focused on trying to bring that out of um, community-based organizations that are working to address health disparities in low-income low communities specifically. What specific community-based organizations are you working with? Um, so I work with a different set of community-based organizations. I do a lot of work with my lab, um, and with my lab, I work with a Flint Health Center. Um, and at the in Flint, we have a consortium that collaborates with the University of Michigan um, Public Health Center, and they, at this consortium, they work with a bunch of just churches, schools. They just work with with everyone on the ground out out there. Um, and so we have a relationship there in trying to improve uh, substance use interventions that are being delivered by the churches and schools. And um, we also have another program on obesity. So we're just working together to make sure that these community-based organizations are delivering the interventions effectively and with fidelity. Um, in my own like, independent time, I work with um, a Grand Rapids uh, in program that targets Latinx college retention rates. And so what they do is they provide a kind of pipeline that offers more opportunities for students who don't necessarily have those opportunities. Um, and so they might be first-generation students, college students who don't necessarily have English as their first language. And so this provides more training. They get internship placements and stuff like that to get those skills that are needed to advance their uh, college career placements. Then in regards to your project, what was your thesis based on then? My thesis was based on the use of school-based health centers in addressing mental health disparities among children in underserved communities. And so what I've done is I've collected a survey that um, described the policies that school-based health centers have to develop um, the resources that they use for these mental health services. And so a little bit of background on that is that children in uh, low-income areas typically have higher health mental health disparities. And schools are one of the leading health providers. And so they're trying to implement a bunch of mental health services directly in the schools because that's where the children are present all day. And so what I did is kind of try to support and highlight um, how school-based health centers have been one of the leading providers in that issue, in that social problem. And so I looked at policies that the organizations themselves have. And then I also looked at um, how the structure of, the, of these school-based health centers um, are varied across the country. And so some uh, school-based health centers may not have the, may not be fully equipped to deliver all the same mental health services. And so a lot of these children are still left untreated, even though there's a good opportunity to deliver those services through them. We recently just had somebody that interviewed with us that studies clinical psychology that it sounds like does something extremely similar to what you performed for your thesis as your experiment. What would be the difference then between what you did versus 
how a clinical psychologist uh, does in regards to their studies and what t- different types of information can you uh, extract from these different types of methods? Yes. So I am trained specifically in implementation science of, of uh, mental health services. And so in comparison to a community, a, a clinical psychologist, I take a step back. So I'm not necessarily looking at service effectiveness. I'm looking at how these services are being delivered by the organization itself, by the service provider. Um, so a lot of the factors that are surrounding these um, services, so for example, the space of an organization, the, um, the resources that an organization has, um, all those contexts, and, and then the surrounding policies that an organization functions in, all those um, factors are, can directly influence um, delivery of services. And so I take, I take a broader focus to the context in which all these, um, or, you know, all these uh, community-based organizations are functioning in. And so I consider, I guess a better way of saying that is that I consider the multiple levels in which services can be delivered. And so a clinical psychologist might just look at um, individual level outcomes and service effectiveness, whereas I look at a a bigger picture and how all those function and how they can interact with one another to improve um, the service itself. That's really interesting. Do you look at specific mental health disparities or did you look at one, uh, like a broader range, like you were saying? No, there is no specific mental health disparity. I look at um, just the mental health services that treat a broad range of mental health, of children's mental health. Um, So it could range from substance use, behavioral health, anxiety, anything of that sort, even including autism. And you had mentioned that you worked with some programs to help them develop their resources for those mental health disparities. What is a good standard for a school like what is a good level of services to have and what are things that you believe that they should have minimally? Um, so most importantly, so I'll use the Flint Health Center, uh, for example. And so we work um, with these organizations to make sure that they are being trained. So training is training personnel is a really important factor. In, and that goes deeper into them thinking that there is value in the service that they're delivering. So do they, so for example, do they actually believe that this treatment can fix this problem. And so that plays a role in how, um, in the level of outcomes that are are, um, resulting from that. Another aspect is resources. So funding is a really important factor. Um, And so an alternate to funding, to monetary funding might be collaborating organizations. So a a lot of schools or centers working together and sharing resources uh, might improve outcomes. Changing policies is another factor that might be important. So just looking at those kind of factors. You said we train them. So do you go in there and train the people who work in the schools or is there a team of people? Um, So we provide implementation consultation. And so that looks at how to measure uh, service effectiveness. So, for example, how can we make sure that services are being delivered in the same way throughout each organization. And so we kind of provide measures. So fidelity is an important survey that can be used to make sure that's being uh, sustained throughout each organization because it matters. You know, the way that you deliver a particular service in one organization might look differently in another organization. So just trying to keep that consistent. Um, We also talk about other um, factors uh, such as ways of measuring um, service satisfaction 
but also having them think ecologically about these things. So not necessarily just getting satisfaction from parents, but also including the service providers, the children, and everyone else that's involved to get like a more comprehensive story. So we just kind of bring that insight to these providers. Well, that's great that you had the opportunity to have this kind of experience working with these community-based organizations. What were the results of these studies and how will they impact future policies in the school system, for example? So one of the biggest challenges is that system change, policy change takes a very long time. And so we're still kind of in the works and trying to, you know, maintain these relationships because relationship building also takes time in and of itself. And so it's really, it's not necessarily a focus on the end goal, although we that's what keeps us in line, but we maintain these relationships and that's part of the outcome as well. And the fact that, you know, these organizations are still working with us in training and really believe in the implementation of services should be improved and could actually lead to improved health outcomes is is a value in itself of itself. So that's I know it sounds more community based than it should be, but that's kind of what we prioritize uh, more than the actual evidence of improved numbers or improved rates in anything. And policy change just takes a very, very long time. So it sounds like the results of this experiment don't necessarily lead up to a publication, but like you said, more like the foundation for relationships for the future. So that way you and these community-based organizations continue to improve the services that are provided for these children that uh, are have these disparities. Right. That's exactly right. Yes. Great. And then what would the future of your research look like now that you've completed these particular studies? So for my future research, I really want to take a, I, I took a, an alternate perspective and I'm really trying to focus on collaboration of existing resources. And so instead of trying to add any more um, stress to these community-based organizations, because they're working on very minimal resources, very minimal personnel and stuff like that, I really want to look, um, assess how collaboration, how can we work together? How can all these community-based organizations that are already existing in these areas that are significantly underserved, um, how can we make that happen? And what are the challenges that are associated with it? And so I've taken up social network analysis, which is a promising tool. And so I'm going to be um, applying that to quantify relationships between these existing community-based organizations but I also want to assess the qualitative component of it. In, and in that way, I'm going to bring these numbers to the community-based organizations themselves so that they can look at the value in attaining relationships. So let's say, for example, there is one school-based health center in location A and in location B. And so if I do a pilot study, have them work together one year and show them that some some form of resource was improved. Like, let's say they were able to refer to each other more frequently over time. And so bringing that knowledge back to them would, would show the value in working together. And so then my whole idea is to, like, kind of spread that throughout an environment, you know, so having people work together. It seems like you're trying to increase collaboration across all of these units. Do you have, like, a particular resource page, or how do you guys organize all of these resources to know who needs what? So that's exploratory by nature, and it varies by each organization. There is no set list that um, 
what you can go by is by actually talking to the community-based organization, going in there and doing sort of like an interview, but just kind of assessing the situation. Like, what is it that, what are the challenges? So basically just asking them the questions about what kind of things they need rather than going in there with a list. Does that make sense? And so it's very like community oriented, like, and, and needs oriented rather than us informing them. Or that's what I would do for my project anyway. And how will this impact the progress for your PhD? That's a great question. Uh, I suspect that the PhD portion of this, so the dissertation product itself, would be the design and like the initial piloting of this kind of study. But the relate, you know, the other factors that are more longer term um, would have to be involved with other people that might be maybe on my committee or something like that, or maybe sustained after the fact. And so I would have to work hard at trying to set those boundaries because it's going to be a longer term project in that sense where relationships need to be upheld and um, community outcomes need to be sustained and stuff like that. And it sounds like you're differentiating between your dissertation and your thesis. Can you inform our audience what that difference is? Yes. So for my program, uh, I came in having to do an additional thesis um, just to be accepted at the master's level. And so for that project, I, I did that project that I discussed on school-based health centers. And so typically they ask us to do a thesis project that would lead to the dissertation, but it's not necessarily like, you know, it's not strictly that idea because that's nearing perfection. And so what we've done is just kind of two completely different projects that reflect your growth and training. Um, so the PhD dissertation is actually a separate component to your doctoral training. Before you were looking at communities for a school environment, but now you're looking at a more broader aspect and you're looking at organizations within the community. How do you distinguish or determine what type of organization to work with? Like, do you pick a big one that's really established or a small one that's now trying more experimental things or trying to get their ground within the community? Yeah, so for for the focus on school-based health centers, I intentionally selected school-based health centers because I came across them completely accidentally, and, and I came to learn that they were actually addressing um, children's mental health more effectively than any other clinic. So, and that, you know, I just ran with that passion in trying to uh, highlight how, school, how important school-based health centers were. Um, right now, I'm taking a broader focus because I've been reading more and more on how barbershops have a pivotal role in health prevention efforts. So they'll provide pamphlets regarding, yeah, yes. <laughs> okay, what do you mean a barbershop? A barbershop and a beauty salon. There is significant research that shows that they are providing pamphlets on health prevention efforts and diabetes tests and stuff like that in areas where predominantly African-American or predominantly Latinx. And so a lot of this community-based research for health is taking an alternate route and trying to target non-traditional organizations that can that are with people all day, that people are exposed to on a daily basis. And so in knowing that, that idea just blew my mind. And so I just want to take a broader approach, approach and look at all the community-based organizations that are maybe not as involved, doesn't necessarily matter, but the potential that they have because of the relationships they have with the people in the same setting is what really drives me. You can basically look at 
a store that's really strong in the community, like a barbershop, and see how what they hand out and what organizations they're promoting, how that affects the well-being and mental health of the community? Yes. So will you pick barbershop specifically, like in this example, or would you pick multiple organizations and then pick a specific topic that they're focusing on? So like you were saying, diabetes, would you pick like the barbershop and the salon and a church or something that is focusing on diabetes, or are you going to look in a specific area and like see like how is Lansing promoting diabetes in general? Right. Um, so I would uh, pick an area and I would base it on the income of the area. So is it an, a heavily impoverished area? Um, what are the rates of disparities within that area? And I say dispar- health disparities broadly, so it could be uh, amongst children specifically. So it could be um, health-related, such as diabetes. Um, it could be mental health. It could be behavior, substance use. And so I would get a collection of those that are participating in some kind of health prevention effort. Um, and so it, and it can actually can include churches. It could include barbershops. And so that's where I, that's the piece where I would bring in social network analysis because you can actually talk to one organization, ask if they communicate with another organization or know of an or, another organization that may partake in the same type of health service prevention effort. And so it creates kind of like a map within the same city or within the same region. I'd have to set the boundary. And so it would tell me like who's talking to who or who's not necessarily talking to who. Um, so it would kind of be informed by the people's knowledge of what it is, like who's doing what in the community. And and it's kind of depending on those kind of relationships. And before you move on, could you explain a little bit about what is a social network analysis and how you conduct that? Yes. So social network analysis is a quantitative, I call it a tool. Um, it's also a theory. It's a whole field. Um, but it's a technique that quantifies relationships from either one entity, one person, one organization to the other. Um, so it forms like a link. So you can you could ask, it could be exploratory. You could test things with it. Um, the way that I'm talking about it is exploratory. So I would ask whether organization A has spoken to organization B and who else they know around the area. And so it would help, that would help create a, a map of the location. Um, and so the links can be uh, qualified. They can, you can ask what kind of relationships are being shared, do they, how frequent they talk. Um, and so that can be used to foster collaboration amongst these organizations. And so, and there's also a whole um, field coming up that's using social network analysis in facilitation groups. So going back to these community-based organizations, like I mentioned earlier, and talking about, okay, there's, these people are talking to each other, but you're not necessarily talking to this organization. How, what can we do to improve this collaborative effort? Well, it just goes to show that through word of mouth, a lot of work can be done, yeah. not only through just formal lines of communication, but also very informal lines of communication. Yes. How will your research impact the, the systemic barrier of racism and segregation that we see in a lot of uh, communities here throughout the state of Michigan? That's such a hard question. <laughs> um, uh, so I'll, the first thing that came to mind is just how community-based organizations are changing these disparities. And so I'll provide one example. It's not my personal work, but it's it was a New York council. And what they did was, what they were trying to address was 
Caribbean health disparities and diabetes. And so they were trying to solve the problem because there was just no connection. You know, they were providing the services, but people weren't necessarily going to the providers. And so these disparities kept on, you know, going on and on. And so what they did was look at the context. So like who who is being represented in these um, provide providing organizations, I guess, or service providers? Um, do they reflect the, the population? And what kind of language are they speaking? What kind of language are these pamphlets being shared in? You know, are they reflecting the Caribbean populations? You know, is there any sense of representation that connects to the population that they're trying to target? Um, and so in that sense, um, I think it's overcoming some form of systemic barriers related to racism in the sense where they're trying to include contexts that represent those marginalized communities more and more to make it these services more effective. Um, however, I think segregation is another <laughs> issue. Um, Tatiana, you mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you volunteer with Latinx communities in Grand Rapids, correct? Yes. And do you do anything else like with the community? Like, do you do any other community engagement? Are you in any organizations and stuff like that? Yes. So in Grand Rapids, I work with uh, this program called Building Bridges. And so I've been helping them with uh, some program evaluation research uh, projects in trying to address the challenges that are unique to Latinx college students. And so and so pulling that information from the students themselves and voicing those perspectives. Um, and that's what I've been doing for that project. Um, I also just volunteer for fun. Like I train <laughs> um, with the Lat Latinx West Michigan chapter. Um, and what we do is we have a 5K every year. Um, and so I train with the kids. It's supposed to address obesity because that's significantly high amongst Latinx populations. And so it's a fun way of trying, you know, of trying to bring in a health prevention effort. So a lot of volunteers are just training for a 5K that they do every year specifically for that group. Really quickly, can you define what Latinx means and how it is different, for example, from being Hispanic? I can to some extent. I think everyone has a different explanation for it. Um, Latinx is just a more inclusive term um, for people who have identities from Latin American countries. Um, I identify with it. There are a lot of different people who share different perspectives about it. Um, there's, I mean, in Grand Rapids, they identify them, their, or, all their organizations as Hispanic chambers. So there's not a necessarily bigger answer to that. Just that's how I identify it as. And so instead of saying like Latina or Latino, I just identify as Latinx. <laughs> so it's not trying to gender any one. <laughs> including myself. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the clarification. Well, it sounds like you're incredibly involved with the community and you're nearing the end of your PhD. So then what do you plan to do once your PhD is completed? Do you want to continue working in community engagement or are you looking more towards a position in academia? So I'm actually pursuing an applied research position. Uh, I want to keep keep um, using my research training, but for the purposes of good. So and what that means is just going on the, in, you know, out in the field directly with these communities. Um, and I feel like I, an academic position might not have that opportunity as much as an applied research position. And so, for example, and being in positions that can actually impact and change policy. And so I would work with maybe 
a research center, um, the Center for Health in Washington, D.C., um, programs for diversity and inclusivity, um, something that just keeps engaging with communities themselves rather than taking a, a further step back than I already have. Well, it sounds like you're making a really large impact in these marginalized communities, and I hope our listeners are inspired by the efforts that you make to help make these people's lives better. So thank you again, Tatiana, for joining us on this interview. Thank you to all of our listeners that joined us this week. And remember, the truth is in the science. Any comments and questions can be directed to scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll see you all next week on SciFiles.